0: today comes from Matthew 10, 34 through 39. Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. And a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Let's pray. Father, thank you just for the words of that song. Father, may um, may you be our vision. May you give us just this clear and singular passion for you father forgive us in this week where we have put other things before you father may you just meet us here um, this morning father may you be with Daniel and just give him the words that you want him um, to speak this morning which just comes straight from scripture and reminds us that in you is full life father and nothing else your name we pray amen
1: amen grab a seat Uh, Before we get started this morning, I need to give you a disclaimer about this sermon and about the outfit that I am wearing this morning. Um, Today we are supposed to be beginning a three-week series uh, called Implications, and it's supposed to be Implications of the Messiah this week, Implications of the Cross next week, and Implications of the Resurrection next week. Kevin has been ruminating on today's sermon for several months now. I was informed at 9 p.m. last night that he's sick, and I needed to preach this morning. So, with with a grand total of 12 hours to even consider this subject this morning, I am presenting to you uh, the Word of God. Now how that connects and relates to my disclaimer about my outfit is that my, my attempt to wear a tie this morning was hoping to maybe distract you from the sermon I'm about to preach, and uh, you would be more mesmerized that someone's actually preaching in a tie here at Aletheia Church. So um, you can let me know how this, um, how this goes, um, but let me just say, one of the... The, the principle I think we can take from this that I'm taking from this and as I sat with my my children this morning we do devotional on Sunday morning before we come to church and I usually try to explain the passage of what what we're, we're going to be talking about so they have a little better idea but I just said kids hey you know I asked them the question do you believe that God is sovereign over us we read that song sang that song a few weeks ago and and they said of course yes daddy Da da da, da because they know that's the right answer when daddy asks those kind of questions but I said, you know, this is just one of those moments in life that this is, this is not the plan. This is not what is expected. But when life throws a curveball, when God throws a curveball, and, and we have to totally change everything that we were thinking we were going to be doing, um, we just have to acknowledge that God is sovereign over us. And for some reason, some way, somehow, this fits inside of God's sovereign plan. And so we're going to roll with it this morning, and whatever uh, happens, happens. And um, my my number one goal is just not to be heretical, but I may start going down a path and go, "Mm, no, I don't want to say that anymore, and I may just stop and then come back and and go, because usually I'm a verbal processor, so I always verbally process my sermons ahead of time. I haven't done a single moment of that this morning, so I have no idea where this is going to go. No idea what's going to happen. This could be 20 minutes this could be an hour and 20 minutes. I have no idea how this is going to go, all right? I have thought about it. Basically, what I did was last night, I got on my hands and knees and said, all right, Lord, give me some guidance. Give me where you want to go, and we started walking down a path together, and I think I'm on the path that he wants me on, um, and he and you will probably let me know afterwards, all right? So uh, so I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump into uh, God's Word. Father, I thank you for today. Um, I thank you for your, your sovereign hand. I thank you for this beautiful body of Christ that is gathered here this morning. Um, Father, um, I just pray that in the time that we have together this morning that your spirit would touch our hearts and our lives. Not only would it touch our hearts and our lives for our sake, but it would touch our hearts and our lives to move beyond us as an everyday church. That we would take these implications about Jesus being the Messiah out into the world and, um, and that we would seriously consider and count the cost of what it means to proclaim Jesus as Lord and as God over our lives. Father, we ask that you take this morning and you use it for our good and for your glory. Amen. All right, so let me just... Um, give you the the brief picture of how I became a follower of Jesus and what it looked like in my life and how it really molds and shapes how how I live today. Uh, Like you, um, in college, uh, many moons ago it seems like now, and uh, even though I grew up in church, even though I had prayed the prayer, got baptized at eight years old, I always like to say none of it stuck. So when I got to high school and went to college, totally went the way of, of the world. I mean, just living it up, doing my own thing, uh, you know, sex, drugs, rock and roll, the whole kind of, the whole kind of bit. And, and I wasn't really looking for God. I wasn't really seeking out God. I'd go to church every once in a while when I felt my sins had piled up too high. I needed to kind of get them wiped off the plate and get a fresh start, but maybe a handful of times in my time at Auburn. And... Um, one day, unexpectedly, out of the blue, I was sitting at a four-way stop sign, and God spoke to me. Now, was it an audible voice? No. But, but something spoke so deep and so so peacefully and so authoritatively into my soul, and it was a very simple instruction to go to the church in front of you. I was in a new part of town. So I just moved to a new place, and there was this church in front of me, and, and it so changed who I was internally, that I said, all right, I have to obey that voice, whatever that voice was, because I know that was God speaking to me, and so on that path, I went. I canceled all my plans that night before I went. I found that church again, and my best friend from high school, I had seen her once in five years on campus. She was at that church, and, um, and God really used that relationship to get me connected immediately to that church, and within about two or three months, as I was just considering who Jesus was and the implications of him being Lord and God and Messiah, I just remember sitting in, in my car a few months later, and I said, Jesus, if, if all this about you is true, if what it says about you in this book, in this collection of books, and, and if what you say about yourself is true, then I will do whatever you want me to do for the rest of my life. And, and in that moment, that was my conversion. It wasn't eight years old when I prayed a prayer and asked Jesus into my heart, but it was a, it was a full and unconditional surrender of my life. And, and I didn't know that he was immediately going to test that, the commitment to what I just said because immediately he responded to me and he said, I want you to move to Texas. Now, if you knew anything about my life and my love for my Auburn Tigers, and especially after last night's basketball game, um, it, you know, it's deep-seated in a person from, from Alabama. We are taught to hate red and white and to love orange and blue, and whatever side you fall on, and, and you choose your friends and your social circles and all that. I loved my university. But, but, so I, my plan was to be in Alabama my entire life. Now, I had just come off a big internship working in connection with the PGA Tour, my my degree's in golf course management. So that's what I was going to do. I had job offers lined up. So when God said move to Texas, it wasn't like, hey, go move to Texas, and uh, I got this great job waiting for you out there. It was basically what that meant was move to Texas and move back in with your parents. My parents had just moved to Texas. My dad was a, a lifer at Goodyear Tire and Rubber Company. They transferred him to Texas. I knew what that meant. Let me just tell you, I would have rather been in the pits of hell somewhere deep and dark than move back in with my parents. I spent my entire life wanting to get away from, not because my parents were bad, but from my hometown. Like I just never fit in. I wanted to be my own person, be independent, do my own thing. So it felt like the shackles were being put on. And, and so my great reward for going and following God all the way out uh, to Texas was I got a job making $6 an hour running a, running a weed eater for a landscape company. College degree in hand, PGA Tour experience, now I'm running a weed eater for $6 an hour. Um, now again, the, the, the story kind of goes from there, but, but that's just kind of where it ended up. But, but never along the way, when I had made this full and unconditional surrender to, to Jesus, did, did I ever once in my mind think to myself, what are my friends and my family going to think about this? How are they going to respond to this news? I, like I knew that everyone in my life would respond favorably, or they would just be neutral. Okay, hey, that's great for you, but nobody's going to care. Nobody's going to get mad. Nobody's going to get upset. Nobody's going to say, what are you doing? Hey, you're crazy. Any of those things. But that's not the case for everybody. And I think it's something that we have to really consider... And, and log into our minds that when we are talking to people about Jesus and his claims as Messiah and his claims as Lord over my life, that, that we we consider that for some people that is not going to be the case. So, for example, like my wife was counseling a young lady in the church a few weeks ago, and they were talking about her newfound conversion, her, her new obedience in following Jesus, and she was relating some of her experiences to my wife, and you know, one of them were her roommates. And now, and now that she's become a follower of Jesus, like, her roommates just can't understand why she's acting the way she's acting, that why she kind of has this new set of moral guidelines and how she interacts with her boyfriend that she didn't previously have. Um, and they're like, hey, that's kind of crazy, and that's kind of weird. Why do you act this way now? Her, her family is also dismissed her as being crazy because there's no one in the family who's Christians, no one goes to church, and, and there was even some hesitancy with her to share with her grandparents who are staunchly Jewish and how they might respond to their granddaughter now being uh, a follower of Jesus. And so there was some opposition in her life and still is because of her decision to say that Jesus is Lord and Messiah, that she has surrendered her life to him. One of my really good friends from Auburn who got his um, bachelor's in molecular biology and went on to get his Ph.D. in nutrition science at uh, UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham, you know, his parents had invested a lot of time and a lot of money. They had a lot of hopes and dreams tied up in his education. So when he became a follower of Jesus and told him that he was going to move to Indonesia and be a missionary... His parents did not agree, and he was never reconciled to his dad before his dad died of cancer a few years ago, because his parents just never could accept the fact that he found a greater obedience, a greater love, and a greater meaning in life than all of these degrees and accomplishments that he had achieved. Now, on the far end of that, something we aren't familiar with in this country, but many of our fellow brothers and sisters around the world are, is, is when it comes to proclaiming the name of Jesus in a family and a culture, that it might actually cost you your life. I'll never forget before I was going over to be a missionary in West Africa, they told us a story about a missionary who was who was suffering, Immensely and weighing the cost of telling people about Jesus. Because, in, in, in one sense, he was celebrated, but, in on one sense, no one wanted to experience what he was experiencing, because if, if you've ever been into a Muslim context like I have or my wife have, you, you understand that the, the the rate at which Muslims typically become followers of Jesus over a long period of time, and when they do it, it's at great cost to themselves, because one of the primary identities to be in a Muslim culture is, is, is a shame culture, that you would never do anything to shame the family, and so to forsake Islam and to follow Jesus shames the family, and this is why many times it ends up in death. And this young man had seen 19 Muslims come to faith in Christ, yet 17 of them had end up dismembered and chopped up and laid at his front door. And so he had to wrestle with himself. Each person that comes a follower of Jesus is going to end up like this. Is it worth it? Each one of those believers who renounced Islam and became followers of Jesus, had to ask, is Jesus worth it? Is he really who he says he is? So somewhere you will find yourself along this spectrum. Many of you may have grown up in the church. You you are surrounded by a church family. Really kind of all you know is church. So if you're a follower of Jesus, there there was no resistance. There was no pushback. It was just kind of like, Okay, yeah, that's that's great for you. Some of you have felt this sting of friends, family, co-workers upon hearing about your profession of faith, hearing that you're a Christian. It's cost you something. It's cost you relationships along the way. It is into a, a culture like this somewhere between where I was, where the young lady in my story was where my friend was and to where the missionary who had seen his friends killed that jesus speaks into the culture today when he speaks these words in matthew 10 verses 34 through 39 he says do not think that i have come to bring peace to the earth i have not come to bring peace but a sword And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. These aren't the words that get connected so often to sweet, gentle Jesus who says, let the children come to me, right? This is not a a sentimental Jesus speaking. This is a, a very... This is a stern Jesus. This is a serious Jesus addressing one of the great realities of life. And I think it's something that we as the church, that we as a lathe Church, that we as the body of Christ need to greatly consider in our own lives but also in our evangelism. Now, if you're not familiar with the word evangelism, it simply means sharing the good news, sharing the gospel. So what is the good news? What is the gospel? Well, simply it is the good news about Jesus, that, that you and I were created, that, that we are in a fallen state because we we have sin inside of us, because we have sinned against God, and In God's great love for us, He is chosen. Jesus comes down out of heaven. He lives the life that we should have lived. He dies the death that we should have died. He proves that He's God by resurrecting from the grave. And now He is in heaven and we are waiting on His return. And so the good news, simply put, is that our sins can be washed over. Because if, if our sins are not washed over, if they are, have not been atoned for, then when we die, we will be forever separated from God. But if we become reconciled to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, we can be forever reconciled with Him. Now, for someone who understands this is the state of their soul, this is incredibly good news so when we say this is evangelism we talk about sharing the good news this is the core issue to which we are getting at that each person will be faced with and depending on how they deal with jesus whether they spend forever in eternity in hell or in heaven and since we're all destined to hell because of the sin that indwells us, the good news is that you can be set free from that sin and be forever reconciled to God where His grand design and plan in eternity is to forever pour out His blessings upon you and they will never get old and you will never get bored. Okay? You will not be strumming harps in heaven. Okay, It will be much more greater and grander than sitting on a cloud with little angels' wings strumming a harp. Now, when we think of this cultural narrative, when we think of 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 presenting the gospel to people. Let's let's just try to put ourselves in the right mindset this morning. What and I, this is audience participation time, okay? So, many of you have had negative things said to you about being a Christian, or at least you've heard it on Facebook or you've heard it on the news. So, tell me something that's been said either to you or you've heard said about Christians. That's negative. Intolerant. Intolerant. All right. What else? Bigot. Bigot. What else? Okay. What Nazi? What else? Aloof. Aloof. What else? Sexist. Sexist. What else? Fake. Fake judgmental. What else? Come on, some of you scientists, tell me, tell me what this is like. How do you, how do you get judged in the sciences? You're stupid, right? And why are you stupid? Stuck in the past, past, right? Uh, Someone said it's basically a crutch. To uh, I I found this funny. One guy who's getting a PhD in physics, he was told, "Well, you know, basically it's a, it's a way out that you don't have to study the deep things of the universe." And I'm like, he's getting a PhD in physics. Like, isn't that studying the deep things of the universe? Like, I don't see how, gee, like, like, like you didn't even think about what you said. But, but, but we get the idea. There, there are a lot of things negatively said. Now, you have to understand, in, in the culture that I grew up in, again, just 20 years ago, people went to church for the community. People who weren't even Christians, you you knew that's where you went to make connections, to strike business deals. If you wanted to be looked upon favorably in society, you went to church because of the advantages it would gain you in this life. Now that is no longer the case. Now it is seen as a negative thing it, it is it is not positive and so so w- what we have to do is we, we have to realize that this is the situation that that people are in that when people are hearing about the gospel for the very first time that words we're having conversations about jesus that the conversations that we're having there's all this baggage that they're carrying in 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 the back of their mind. So we need to give an honest treatment to where they are and what they're going through and we need to help them count the cost of what it might be to follow Jesus. And so as I I, I thought about this, I I really wanted us to, to think about our implications for evangelism and how we present Jesus as the messiah to people now the way that i see this done really poorly in a lot of churches and and among a lot of believers is something i call the up into the right gospel okay so we've all seen a movie some kind of setting where somebody's making a presentation in the boardroom right they're, they're, they're making this presentation, they're presenting their data, and all the shareholders care about, all the CEO cares about, all the big board cares about is, with what you're going to tell me is, is the income and the profits going to move up and to the right. So we in America like to present something that I call the up and to the right gospel. That if you will pray this prayer, if you will ask Jesus into your heart, if you will become a, a follower of Jesus... He'll make your problems go away. I was even at a church recently, because I visit different churches on Sunday, where, again, it was New Year's resolution. And so what were they proclaiming at the New Year? The New Year, they were proclaiming, Hey, this is going to be your best year yet. Aren't you sure that God is going to make 2019 your best year yet? And here's all the things you need to do in order for God to make 2019 your best year yet. It's an up and to the right gospel. Jesus is going to make your problems go away. Jesus is going to help you live your best life now. If you do good, you will get good from God. So Jesus just becomes nothing more than, than a sidekick to make your life better, to improve your quality of life, to make you healthy, wealthy, and wise, giving you all of your dreams and all of your desires. Now, if you're a part of a Aletheia Church, this is probably not you. This may influence some of the way you talk about Jesus to people, but because we're we're a little more serious about the scriptures, you've probably been more trained in a classical way. And because I know we have navigators in here, and crew in here, and BCM in here, I know that many of us in some way, shape, or form, I know we have Young Life in here, we've been trained in some kind of gospel presentation, okay? And you've been told this is how you share the gospel. And here's what I do not want you to do. I do not want you to go to your student org leaders and say the pastor, one of the pastors of Aletheia Church told us we are not to share or present the gospel with people or the way we are doing it is wrong. I want you to listen to the words coming out of my mouth. I am going to say something to you, and I want you to consider what I am saying to you. I am not telling you what to do. I am wanting you to think about what I'm saying and what you've been told, and I want you to make a decision for yourself, okay? I am not telling you to do anything. I will throw you under the bus when your student organization leader comes to me, and I will make up lies about you and your family, <laughs> all right, if they do that. So, okay. Okay. Because I want to say I, I was trained in one of those. Before I went to be a missionary overseas, they 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 trained us in something called evangelism explosion. All right. Now, only the older people in the room will probably appreciate this, but I just have to tell it because it is so worth telling. You know, basically it's one of those apartment knocking on doorsing. Dot, 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 you get right into these questions, gospel conversation, whatever. My trainer in the state of Texas was a lady named Barbara Bush. All right. Now, some of you may remember we had a president who had a wife named Barbara Bush. The lady that was my trainer that I went out with, she was in her 60s, could have been about the same age as Barbara Bush, and she had a very unique feature about her. She had had her makeup tattooed on her face. Yes. Okay. (laughs) Serious, straight up. So, her facial expressions never change, and it, 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 it's just, it's weird, man. It was weird, okay? It was the most uncomfortable thing in my entire life that I've ever done, and I, I just despise doing it. Now, the thing about evangelism explosion and some of the other evangelism presentations that were taught, they, they make a great assumption for culture 30 years ago that does not necessarily apply today. And if it does, it applies in a very small number of people. Because let's just say you you have a scale 1 to 10. And let's say 10 is the point of when a person becomes a believer. So when you take things like the Romans Road, when you take things like the bridge, when you take things like the four spiritual laws or evangelism explosion, there's a grand assumption that the person you are talking to is about at an eight or a nine on that scale and close to following Jesus. You just need to kind of seal the deal. Where I think we need to realize and reset our expectations that most of the people that we talk to today are more likely at about a one or a two. Now, I I can say this with a lot of data in mind. I've shared with some of our our leaders before as we talk about raising awareness in some leadership meetings that when it comes to what would be the eight fundamental basic Christian beliefs, just the eight fundamental beliefs like Trinity, Jesus is God, Jesus is the only way to salvation, like the, the Bible is the word, I mean, just very basic things. Only one half of one percent. So one out of every two hundred people in the ages of eighteen to twenty-three in America actually uphold that to be true. Okay? So when you go on campus, you can basically understand one out of every two hundred people you come across actually has that worldview, what we call a biblical worldview. Okay? So they're not in an eight or a nine somewhere along the way. They're 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 much further away on that scale. So when we have conversations, just to go to someone and, and to present them one of these basic gospel presentations and then get them to pray a prayer, uh, I don't think is the best way to which we could invite someone into truly following Jesus, especially in light of the words that Jesus has said to us this morning in, in Matthew chapter 10. Now, if you're not familiar with these presentations, I, I just want to show you what they look like um, Uh, up on the screen so i'll pick one uh, i pick three so the romans road okay so typically these presentations are done in such a way that you do this in three to five maybe 10 or 15 minutes if you've got time with somebody but basically this is what you're trying to do you're trying to get a person to acknowledge that we're all sinners and so you go to romans chapter 3 and you have them read that then you say hey the wages of our sin is death because we sin we've died Uh, that's why our bodies get old and die. But yet, hey, the good news is Jesus paid our sin debt on the cross. Salvation comes by faith in him and confess with your mouth. So right now, if you will, with the, the confession of your mouth, if you'll believe in your heart and pray this prayer and ask Jesus into your heart, you'll be saved and you get to go to heaven forever. In a previous culture, that totally worked. at least it got people to make the profession. I don't know that it actually worked in getting people to become followers of Jesus. Let's look at, uh, look at the bridge, right? This is a very popular one. I was, I was pastor of a church called The Bridge uh, in, in Seattle, Washington. So basically you have mankind on the left, We've all sinned, sin's penalty. There's this great chasm between you and God who's holy and righteous. And and Jesus is the bridge that helps you cross this great chasm. None of your good works could ever build a bridge to getting there. Jesus is that bridge. If you believe in Jesus, he allows you to walk across and connect to God. Don't you want to follow Jesus and be in heaven forever? Yes, I do, Brother Daniel. All right, there you go. And the other one that gets very commonly used are the four spiritual laws. Um, And though it doesn't intend it, I will just tell you the first line, the first law has always struck me in a really, really bad way because God loves you and have a wonderful plan for your life. Man is sinful and separated from God. Jesus Jesus Christ is God's only provision for man's sin. We must individually receive Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. Now, I think Law 1 would be okay if you said God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your eternity. That's very true. But I will just tell you, it is, it is, it is false and misleading to tell someone God has a wonderful plan for your life in the current understanding of the American mind of what that means. Because if you tell somebody that, if you tell another human being in America a wonderful plan for your life. They have a great set of expectations called the up into the right gospel. All right. Oh, this is going to make my problems going away. This is going to make my problems easier. This is going to make me. I'm going to get more money. I all these things. I'm not going to be. All these things. Then yes. And again, that's what people want, right? I mean, I mean, you th- you you think about what your friends are searching for. You think about the people around you and, and what they are pursuing. And what they're going to pursue for the rest of their lives, they're going to pursue better health, better finances, a bigger house, a better car, a better retirement, a better vacation. People are pursuing up and to the right. That is the American dream. It may not have been the American dream of yesteryear, but if you want to know what the American dream of today is, it's an up and to the right gospel. And if you will tell me that all I have to do is pray a prayer and ask Jesus into my heart, and my life's going to get better and up and to the right, sign me up. Like, hook a brother up, like, let me have it give it to me, come on, that sounds great and wonderful to me. I get to live my life, do what I want to do, go about my way, and then I got God coming along my side, bolstering my efforts, blessing my efforts, giving me bonuses on top of all the other bonuses I'm earning everywhere else. Like, that sounds like good, great, and wonderful news to me. And then I get to go to heaven forever, and I got fire insurance, and I'm good, and I'm cleared. Shoot. I ain't stupid. Sign me up. Here's the great reality in all this, and and, and the data bears this out. As much as I appreciate the efforts of Billy Graham and the Crusades that he did, they know from their own data that 85% of all people who made professions of faith within a few years are never found around the church. There's no evidence of, of any of those people actually walking with Jesus. But yet, that group of people has been told because you prayed this prayer, now Jesus into your, your heart, you're going to together, you're going to heaven forever. And so they've been sold a lie. Now, why does this happen? Well, this happens because we as humans really like to count things and really like to celebrate things. And when churches need to report back to their boards and back to their denominations, everybody loves a winner, right? We always like it when our team wins, right? And the way Americans like to win is what? Numbers, right? We like to count everything. We like to count people. We like to count prophets. What what can we celebrate? And so there's an evangelism that's kind of infected us that that we just try to get people to pray this prayer um, and, 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 and accept Jesus into their heart. Now, did... Did anywhere in what Jesus talked about in Matthew 10 sound like that? Can you give me one example anywhere in the New Testament where there, that is the gospel pitch? That is the gospel presentation that we should make to people? No. Now, and, and let me tell you, the, the only way you're ever going to get comfortable in going, hey, I'm okay saying the hard things to people and helping them count the cost, is if you truly believe that God is sovereign over salvation. See, if you believe that your presentation, your pitch, your ability to to talk somebody into it is what's going to get somebody saved, oh, you will be a miserable human being. And you won't share the gospel with people. Because you think the results are on you. And what happens is when the results are based on us, we only have one or two options, pride or despair. All right? Pride because I'm good at it or despair because I suck at it. All right? And if I suck at it, well, I'm not going to do it because, we did. you know, we, we're, what, are, what are we told? Don't do anything you're bad at. Only work toward your strengths. Only work toward what you're good at. So if I suck at it, I'm not going to do it. That's some other people's jobs. You know, let, let Kevin go do all, all the evangelism on campus. You know, because he's good at it. And I'm amazed. I'm just saying, if you guys ever want to see a true evangelist, go with Kevin on campus on a Thursday. It is the weirdest, most uncomfortable thing on planet Earth. Because somebody who picks it, he's not here this morning, so we get to talk all about him, okay? So, so it is the weirdest, most uncomfortable thing. Because I, I believe in social cues, and I believe that when you're having a conversation with somebody. <laughs> I believe when you're having a conversation with somebody, and they're giving you the social cues with their expressions that they're not interested and in, don't talk to me. Kevin sees none of that. He experiences none of that. And so but it's amazing. It's amazing because he just keeps pressing through with all these questions where I would have like you know pulled the eject handle a long time ago. Like Kevin just keeps going and I'm like, dude, they are not interested at all. But he just keeps going and he just he's you know, he's like a dog with a bone. He's just got that thing and he ain't letting go of it. And lo and behold, by the time, you know, he just wears them down to we're like, all right, now we're talking about real life. Now we're talking about something. And it's amazing. I mean, so I would encourage everyone all of you to go so taylor you go with him what time do y'all go 12 30 to 1 on thursdays from the bcm just go with him one thursday you don't have to do i go and i just i just sit there i just i just watch all right um and uh and so i go sometimes but if you want to go another time like he will take you out on campus and because it's something that needs to be done i just don't know that the way we've presented the gospel it is the way that it should be done, okay? So that is um, it's what I would, I would say to you. Just, let me just get over this. And if you ever want to read a book on this, I think the, the best book ever written on the subject, it's not very long, is Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God by J.I. Packer, all right? If J.I. Packer is a name that is not familiar to you, you need to go and read all of his books, Um, and, but I'll tell you this, he's written more books than you can ever read. Okay. So brilliant man of God, a brilliant theologian, an incredible man of God in in, in a variety of ways. If you've never read his book, Knowing God, put it, make it your summer reading. It will radically change your life, uh, for the better. But he wrote a book, Evangelism, the Sovereignty of God. And he just said, look, here's, here, here's what the Bible says. It's our job to tell people about Jesus And it's God's responsibility, whatever happens after that. That's all on God. Whatever decision a person makes, that's between them and God. We should just want to talk about Jesus. And let me say, evangelism is not a presentation. Because you can share the good news about Jesus and what he's done in your life without any kind of presentation. When you walk into work tomorrow morning, you can say, Man, God did this in my life recently. That's sharing the good news. Man, my life, is, my life has changed so dramatically ever since I started following Jesus. That's the good news. You can say anything like ascribing glory to God and His impact in your life, and that is in a way sharing the good news. It is not a canned gospel presentation where you're trying to get someone to make a decision for Christ. Sharing the good news is sharing the good news. And if God is radically and dramatically change and impacting your life, you can share that good news with anyone around you. So begin there because people will connect to your stories and to your life way before they get a gospel presentation. The gospel presentation is really that thing down the road once you've built that relationship and you've built these conversations into the rhythm of your life with these people. And I want to tell you that's a very freeing idea to have conversations in that way to go, hey look, because, and this like, here's the thing. If you never find yourself talking about Jesus, what does it say about your actual love for Jesus? You know, one of the things we see, we see Kevin do here, here, here every sermon, pretty much, is talk about how much he loves Jackie, right? Right? You've heard Kevin do this every time. I mean, you, you can always guarantee, like, I'm going to get bacon cheeseburgers somewhere in a sermon every time. Kevin always goes for his love for his wife, all right? You know, his, his ideal is a little better than mine, okay? So, but I like bacon cheeseburgers a lot, so I talk about them a lot because I really love bacon cheeseburgers because they're really good. He really loves his wife, apparently, but I love you too, baby. Not more than a bacon, you know. So, see, remember the wife, remember the wife submission sermon, what happens when I, it's off script? We're down the same road, okay? So, St same thing. It, 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 it should say something to us because I just always talk about what I love. You always talk about what you love. Amen. It should be you need to examine your life. How much do I talk about Jesus? Just how much do I talk about Jesus? To, other, to believers? To non-believers? How much do I talk about Him? Because if you truly love Jesus, you will talk about Him to other people because you can't help it because it just comes out of the person and who you are. So the implications for our evangelism, uh, I, I think, in how we talk to people like Jesus is, is one we've got to consider in the count the cost of what it might, how it might affect. Because you've got to imagine someone who comes out of a strong identity with the LGBTQ community. For them to come out of that community into a Christian community, I mean, their friends and family are going to rail against them, are going to ridicule them. If someone comes out of the sciences to faith in Jesus, um, you know, their coworkers, their fellow scientists around them are going to ridicule them for their faith in Jesus. So, if you, and so anything where a person comes out of that, they are going to experience ridicule. They may even suffer in their career. So, our job is to help them count the cost. That's our job. Our job is to help them count the cost so they really understand what it is they could be getting into and let them consider and Jesus is worth it. And I will just tell, let me just say this. I always try to talk someone into following Jesus. I'm the exact opposite. I want to present it as daunting as possible because I can't tell you how many people I've baptized as a pastor in my church in Washington that within a few months or a year, totally, totally walked away. I thought they had counted the cost. I thought I'd explained it to them. But at the end of the day, their heart was revealed, and all they really wanted was fire insurance. So I will tell you, do not present, you do not have to soft-pedal Jesus. You can present a very hard gospel, a very difficult gospel, because Jesus presented a very hard and difficult gospel. Because not only do we have to consider when we're sharing the good news with somebody how it might affect their relationships with friends and family and coworkers, we also have to consider the implications of how it will affect them personally. As some of you are wrestling with this, some of you are going to be called like my friend to give up his career to follow Jesus. Some of you are going to be called like me to give up your career and your hopes and your dreams to follow Jesus. Some of, some of you, this is going to happen in college. Some of it's going to be after college. Some of it's going to be when you get married. Some of it's going to be when you, when you have kids that, that if you truly want to follow Jesus and have a relationship with Jesus, it's going to cost you something dearly, something that you love greatly. It's going to cost you your hopes and your dreams to follow Jesus because Jesus is going to, he's going to give you a new set of hopes and dreams but you know what has to die? Those old hopes and dreams. Because you have to take on and embrace a new set of hopes and dreams that he will put into your heart. Because if he is working in your life, he will put new hopes and dreams in your heart. Now, how that plays out in your life, I have no idea. But I know that Proverbs sixteen nine is true, that man makes his plan, but the Lord directs his steps. But see, some guys came to Jesus one time in John in the book of John, and they weren't followers of Jesus, and they wanted to speak to Jesus. And in John twelve, verses 20 26 I want you to see what Jesus said to them. Some of those, and these were Greek guys, so they weren't the normal Jewish guys who were seeking and always around Jesus. They came up to worship, and they said they wanted, they said they wished to see Jesus. And Philip told Andrew, and Andrew and Philip went and told Jesus, and Jesus comes says to them in verse twenty-three. so we see and you have to remember anytime jesus repeats himself you're really supposed to pay attention so you see in verse 24 it says truly truly jesus is giving you double emphasis which means you better pay double extra special attention to what he is saying in this moment unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies and it remains alone i did this one time as a sermon illustration connected to this passage and i held up an apple and i just said hey i want you to look at this apple and i and I want you to visualize this apple. And, and, and seeing this apple in my hand, I just want, tell, tell me all the things you, you dream and you think about with this apple. And out of hundreds of people in the congregation, I said, what did you think about this apple? And everyone talked about how shiny it is, how pretty it is, how round it is, how good it would taste, and, and all these things except for one lady see every single person when they saw the apple they only thought about how the apple would actually benefit them and only one lady said i thought about the seeds on the inside That if i took that apple and i cut it up and i went and planted those seeds how many apple trees could be produced and how many apples could be given out to feed everybody else Now, does that not say something about us in our state as the church in America? That every single person thought about what the apple could do from them, not realizing that the gospel point of this is that your life is now for the sake of others and how you can live for the sake of other people. But the only way you can live for the sake of other people is to die to what you are, to become to what Jesus wants to make you. See, the only way... The the seed actually becomes anything for everybody else is if it dies. It has to die to what it is in order to bear fruit that everyone else can benefit from. And it's the exact same thing in our lives. If we're going to actually follow Jesus, we actually have to die to self. We actually have to die to our hopes and dreams in many ways. The hopes and dreams that aren't connected to The gospel that aren't connected to furthering the name of Jesus. We have to die to those things in order for people to benefit from our life. And again, kind of how I rephrased the first spiritual law God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your eternal life. Jesus says, If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. See, when we present this gospel, it is very important we present it in in an eternal perspective more than a temporal perspective. There there is a temporal part of this that does apply to our lives, but there there is a much grander eternal part to that we have to consider when we present this gospel to people. That your great reward will be in the next life, but it may not necessarily come in this one. Though God will bless you immensely along the way, He may may come alongside you with burdens that are just as great as your blessings. And we need to make sure that we let people know that and we explain that and don't sell them a false gospel that's uh, only up and to the right. And just in case you aren't convinced this is the normal language and pattern of, of Jesus, I want to look at one more passage and I just want to show you it combines the two things that I've talked about this morning. So when we think about what I've said this morning and our implications for sharing the good news with other people, we need to help them consider what it might cost them with their friends and their family. We also need to help them consider what it might cost them personally. And this is the language of Jesus when he is presenting the gospel when he is presenting the good news to people look at what he says here in luke chapter 14 verses 25 through 33 great crowds accompanied him and he turned aside and said and Now I, I want to say this just because um, if you ever want to go look in in john chapter 6 um, this is, I, I think, the, the best illustration of Jesus' attitude toward the hard call of the gospel. Jesus has just fed everybody. There's 20,000 people following him in a crowd. They, they, they've all been fed. It said they wanted to come and make him king by force because they were so impressed by his miracle. And Jesus turns to them and says, Hey, I'm the, body that came down, I'm the bread that came down from heaven. You've got to eat my flesh. I'm the new wine got to drink my blood i always say jesus was the original vampire in that in that situation because people are coming kind of like, what eat your flesh and drink your blood 20,000 people walk away from jesus did he run after them no they say hey come back no all he did was turn around the 12 guys and goes you want to leave too They said, nope. He said, all right, come on. That was it. He didn't run after him. He didn't pursue him. He clearly explained the call of what it meant to follow him and what it looked like to follow him. And once he did that, his responsibility was met and he was okay with whatever the Father would now do in their heart, with whatever the Spirit would do in their heart. He had had done his work He had done what he was supposed to do. So here, again, with the crowds accompanying him, he turns and he says to them, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life. So you see both, right? You see, now understand this word hate, this hyperbolic language that's very common in Jesus' day and in Jesus' culture. It just basically means, if anyone would choose family over me, you're not worthy of me. If you would choose your own life over me, you're not worthy of me. So the implications are for your spheres of influence but also for yourself. If you don't do this, you cannot be my disciple. So this is why it shouldn't shock us in Matthew 7:23 and 24 when Jesus says there's going to be a lot of people who say to me on the day of judgment, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all these things for you and in your name? And he's going to say, depart from me, I never knew you. Those are Jesus' words. There are a lot of people who who have been misinformed about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. What Jesus is saying to you, what the Word of God is saying to you, what I am saying to you is that if you do not choose Jesus over everything else, you are not his disciple. And if you are not his disciple, then you have not inherited eternal life. Church, this is the gospel that we must present to people. We must hold Jesus incredibly high. We must keep our sin in view of what it is. But you need to understand that when Jesus called people to follow him, it was not to an easy believism. It was a call to renounce everything that you have. And that is the question that all of you must wrestle with. Have you come to that point? to where you have actually said into your life, God, everything I am in your, if you are are real, if you are who you are, who you say you are, Jesus, I surrender my entire life with open hands, I give this to you. For that and only that is the sign of a heart that has surrendered itself to the gospel. Now the final implication for this is this only matters if Jesus is who he said he is. If he's not, if he's just some dude, who cares? Right? If he's just some good moral teacher, like, I would just say, like, like just don't insult Jesus by calling him a good moral teacher. You know, and this is one of those things. If you, had, if you know the story of C.S. Lewis and how he was a staunch atheist and became a follower of Jesus, the, his, one of his most famous arguments, and Kevin mentioned it a week or so ago, li- liar, lunatic, or lord? I mean, I mean you just, just think of the things that we've heard Jesus say today, right? Think, think of what He says in John 14:6, "I am the way, the truth, the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you want to get to God, you've got to come through me." Now just imagine wherever you're going to go out to eat today after church, somebody comes up to you in a restaurant and says, "Hey, I am the way, the truth and the life. If you want to go to heaven, if you want to get to God, it's only through me. What are you going to think? Dude, you're nuts. Like, I'm calling 911, get away from me. Like, like, they're a liar or they're a lunatic. And that's why C.S. Lewis says, don't let people get away with this idea that, oh, he's a good moral teacher. He's a, a good example. Because he's not. He, he, he had some good things to say. But, first and foremost, above all things, he is Lord. And the question is, Have you come to the place in your life that you have actually bowed your knee to Jesus? to that you have said, whatever you want for the rest of my life, it is yours. Because you are King Jesus and I am not. And the Bible says to us in Philippians chapter 2 that either in this life or the next, one day every tongue will confess and every knee will bow proclaiming Jesus to be Lord. And that's what I want you to wrestle with today. And I want you to ask yourself, are you there? And honestly, this is why we don't do altar calls here at Aletheia Church. Because I don't want this to be an emotional response. I trust God enough that if he's working this out in your life, then you're going to come to follow Jesus anyway, whether we do it now or you do it in an hour or in a day or a week from now. God's working this out. I'm just wanting to put a rock in your shoe. I'm wanting you to walk around this rock in your shoe, and I want you to think about it until you can say, whether it's here, whether it's at home, whether it's on the beach, God, Jesus, I surrender my entire life to you. But it cannot stop with you. We just went through this series called The Everyday Church. I understand the pressures that you're facing in school. I understand how busy you are. I understand all the things you've got going on. But if you are a follower of Jesus, you have to recognize and realize there's also a a set of lenses you must put on, like your sunglasses, that help you see the world a little bit different. That along with those things, there are people who desperately need to hear the good news of Jesus that we have been called to share with and to share our lives with. That is best done in community and in our relationships. So my challenge for you is twofold this morning. One, to consider the state of your own soul and have you actually surrendered your life to Jesus. And number two, what are you going to do if you have done that to get this good news to people in your spheres of influence? What are you going to do to get this gospel to people to proclaim the good, great reality of our God and King, Jesus Christ. So with that being said, I'll go ahead and invite Diego um, back up. I'm going to pray for a moment. When I'm done praying, um, as Diego plays and sings, leads us in worship this morning, you will have an opportunity to come and take communion for all of you who are... um, certain that you are followers of Jesus and you have surrendered your life to him. For the Bible says we should not take communion lightly because it is truly the remembrance of Christ's body being broken for us and his blood being shed for us. And we should attempt with reverence to take communion, remembering the great sacrifice that that was made for us on Christ's behalf. So let me pray and then we will go into our time of response. Father, I thank you for this day. It's not the day that I had planned and it may not be the day that other people in this room had planned as they wrestle with life's great question of following Jesus or not following Jesus, going my own way or going your way. Jesus, you said that the road is wide that leads to destruction, but it... Very narrow is the path that leads to eternal life. And it is narrow because, Jesus, you are the way, you are the truth, and you are the life. There is no other way to be reconciled to God except through you. And that reconciliation happens not in praying a prayer, saying some magic formula of words, but in us bowing our knee, bowing our hearts before your majesty. As Diego read for us in our call to worship that all things were created through you, by you, and for you. You came so that we could be reconciled. That reconciliation is made possible by your death, burial, and resurrection. May you overwhelm our souls this morning with that great reality that we would surrender. And if God has so moved upon your life this morning to where you are surrendered, that I would encourage you to confess your sin, to pray, to acknowledge to the Father that you are surrendering your life wholly and completely because Jesus is worthy. God, work in their hearts. Work in their lives. Convert those in here who are not yet followers. Reveal to them the condition of their heart. Lay upon them the great implications of Jesus as King and Messiah. Do a great work in us. Father, ordain appointments, ordain gospel appointments for us tomorrow and throughout the week to share Jesus with people who do not know. may we we be bold and courageous to talk about the one whom our soul loves, no matter the cost or the opposition. May we count Jesus worth more than anything it would cost us personally in this life. It's in His great name that we pray. Amen.